0: Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, if we have not met yet, uh, my name is Brad. If you're a guest with us, so thankful you're here. I'm one of the elders and the lead pastor here. And um, typically we uh, pick a book of the Bible, as we say frequently, and we kind of cruise our way through it. But every so often, uh, there's just an opportunity to pull out and deal with uh, a subject matter, a topic, if you will. And so that's kind of where we're at uh, here this week. And, And what I'd like to do, which is a little unordinary or out of the ordinary for us is just give you a bunch of references. We're not really going to anchor down in one single text though if you do want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 I am fascinated by that that's kind of our jump off point here but uh, what I'd like to do is just give you uh, some references And, and really I've tried to take the Bible and as it relates to the issue of prayer I'd like to kind of just sift it down and ask some questions, we'll answer some questions together, scripture driving that process, and hopefully leave here with a little bit more hope, uh, and, uh, and even maybe practice some things together, maybe tonight, just to sort of begin that journey that might change the way we consider prayer. If you were with us uh, last week, this is by way of review, but if you weren't, I wanna catch you up to speed, because in some ways, we're kind of building on that. So last week, we identified what we call the sanctification gap, And it's a fancy way of saying I read the Bible and God says I should be awesome and yet the reality of my life is I'm often not. And so that that gap of the difference between God's ideal and yet my current reality, we call that the sanctification gap or theologians have called that the sanctification gap. The question is how do you close that gap? And we said there's two really critical moves to close that gap. One is you have to embrace the gospel. So if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Keep in mind that uh, following Jesus, being a Christian, is really not a works-based religion. There's really nothing you and I do to earn our salvation. Uh, It's really a gift given to us by God. And so we have to embrace the gospel first. That's the first step towards closing the gap. The other reason that's critical is when you trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is sealed inside of you, which means the engine that drives transformation is not Um, you being more disciplined. It's not you you having uh, a good New Year's resolution. It's the Spirit of God that's doing a work inside of us. The second part of that, though, is not only do we need to embrace the gospel, we need to present our wills to God. There needs to be a sense where we are open to what God wants to do in us. Scripture tells us that what God has begun in us, he will be faithful to complete. It says that God is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure and that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So the spirit of God that's in a believer wants to transform us that we might lay aside the old self and put on the new self. But this transformation is not a transformation that's done to us, it's done with us. And there's three really um, positions, if you will, three really um, expressions of the will. You can be will-less, and not be open to the things of God, not even care about the things of God, or truthfully be so hurt and burned out and discouraged that you just kind of shut down. You can be willful to the things of God, which is where you like pull up your bootstraps and, and try hard to do good. And, and most people, by the way, uh, bounce between two extremes. We're willless and we're just kind of indulging the flesh, and there's not a lot going on in terms of spirituality in our lives, there's not a lot of obedience going on, not a lot of joy, and we're like, okay, that's it. I've got to get better, like I've got, I wanna live different, and so we just yank ourselves over into willful, and so we're like gonna be better, we're gonna get in a Bible study, we're gonna read our Bible, and we're gonna do better, we're gonna get sober, or whatever, until that fails, and then we end up back in will less. And and what I wanna suggest is, I think the Bible offers us a middle ground that's actually the one that's effective, and that's not will-less, that's not willful, it's just willing. It's just being open to God. The metaphor we used not to teach the same message a second time, but the metaphor we used was a dance. That in the dance of change, God is leading the dance, and if we can just learn to follow him, transformation comes initiated by him and sustained by him. And we introduced you to a prayer of intention, which is just a, a simple concept of, look, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning Instead of scrolling through the chaos that is the news cycle, instead of staring at the narcissism that is Instagram, what if, what if instead you just opened to God and you just said, God, I want to start my day with you. And uh, so we taught a prayer of intention and we, we recognize that presenting yourself to God first thing in the morning is good. What I want to deal with this week is what, what would it look like to actually do that throughout the day? So if a prayer of intention to begin your day is good, what about at 9 a.m. in the break room? Okay, what about over lunch? How can we do that over time? And that's where 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 comes in. It's a passage that's often quoted, but actually it's incredibly convicting if you're not real comfortable with prayer. Because he gives a couple imperative commands. Rejoice always, which is in and of itself convicting, because I mean, who rejoices always? Pray without ceasing. Okay, I'm not sure if anybody's really good at that here, but, but he says pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, and that's just God's will for you. I mean, so it's a pretty high bar. And, and what I've been thinking about a little bit and want to talk through is this idea of praying without ceasing. Like, what, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? What does it look like to pray without ceasing? How do we, how do we walk through a day... With God at the center of everything we're doing, and if the Scripture says that in His presence is fullness of joy, and in His right hand are pleasures forevermore (Psalm 16:11), wouldn't it be good for us to actually seek that? And, and I think it's actually uh, more accessible, and I appreciate it the way Trevor mentioned it, that sometimes we make prayer so much more complex than the Bible does. And so I want to just kind of walk through that. Thankfully, the Bible gives us a lot of information. There are over 3,500 verses that have to do with the, with, uh, the issue of prayer. Very, very um, text-rich environment for us. And, uh, you know, the reality is, and one of the reasons people don't want to talk about prayer is it is convicting. In uh, you know, if you were a um, an athletic team, and you were playing against your opponent, you were watching video uh, of your opponent, you were scouting them, you're looking for the weak spot, the vulnerability, the thing they don't do well. And the reality is for most Christians, we, we have a common weak spot, three of them actually. Uh, it tends to be evangelism, giving, and prayer. Because very few people are like, dude, I share my faith way too much. Very few people say, I give way too much. And very few people say, I pray way too much. Like, I've got those down. If you're scouting, most Christians, those are our weak spots. And so let's talk a little bit about that weak spot of prayer. The question I just want, I'm going to ask and answer a couple of questions and just give you some references, and, and then we'll, we'll build something out. Let's start with this. If you're going to pray, uh, when do you pray? Like, well, when's the right time? Well, thankfully, the Bible uh, gives us a couple of options. One is in the morning you can pray. Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. So you can pray in the morning. Um, In Acts 3, verse 1, it says, Peter and John were going to the temple in the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m., about the time you're all heading for a cappuccino. And it says uh, it was the hour of prayer. So you can pray in the afternoon. Uh, It says in uh, Matthew chapter 14, that uh, in the evening, Jesus had sent the crowds away and he went away by himself to pray. In the evening, he was there alone. So you can pray in the morning, you pray in the afternoon, you can pray in the evening. And for fear of sounding like a Dr. Seuss book, the idea is ultimately that you can pray any time and you can pray all the time. And that's kind of the point. Uh, there's not a set time for prayer. It doesn't really matter when. Um, and so pray anywhere or, or anytime, pray all the time. Another question we'll ask is where are we called to pray? Well, the Bible says in Luke 18 that two men went up to the temple to pray. And so apparently you would go to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. Now thankfully, it's not only in the temple of Jerusalem, that would be a very expensive flight for us. And so uh, it's not just there, but in Matthew chapter six, Jesus mentions when you pray, go into your inner room. So you can pray in the temple, you can pray in your home apparently. In uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it says that uh, he sent the crowds away and he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So apparently you can pray outside. And uh, in some ways, again, the Dr. Seuss books, you can not only pray anytime and all the time, you can pray anywhere and you can pray everywhere. But you don't have to like green eggs and ham if, if you don't want to. That's up to you. How do you pray? What's, what's the right posture? I mean, have you ever thought that? Like, okay, you, you go to pray and you're just afraid. You, you just don't know quite what to say or, or how to act or, or how to sit. or I mean, you know, like how do you pray? Well, the Bible gives us a lot of options. Luke chapter 9, verse 16 it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked into heaven and he blessed them and he prayed. So apparently you can pray with your eyes open. I don't know if you thought that was cool or not, but you can Especially those of you who are parents who taught your kids to pray. Usually it's head bowed, eyes closed, right? So apparently you can lift your eyes. Um, You can bow down to pray according to Psalm 5 verse 7. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house and in your holy temple, I will bow down in reverence. So if you want to pray, you can bow if you choose. You can kneel if you choose. Daniel in Daniel chapter six was actually found out to be a man who kneeled down to pray three times a day as was his custom and that's what got him in trouble with the authorities there who didn't want him doing that. So you can kneel. Uh, Psalm 41 verse two says, may my prayers be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as an evening offering. So you can pray with your hands like this. It doesn't have to be like this. Some of you were trained like this, sometimes with uh, knuckles being racked if you didn't have it quite right. Some of you, I think, are maybe you know, still recovering from some church hurt there. But apparently you can pray with your hands open. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Ezra blessed the Lord God, and the people answered, amen, amen, and they lifted up their hands, and they bowed low, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So if you want to lay prostrate before the Lord, you can certainly do that. Psalm 141 says, um, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me, give here to my voice when I call to you so you don't have to use an inside voice when you pray. Apparently you can put some volume behind it, cry out to God, cry out to God through tears if you need to. You can pray according to Mark 11, standing. You can pray according to 2 Samuel 7, seated. It doesn't matter is the point. There's no one way to pray. And the reason I share this with you, you're like, yeah, I, I, I kinda knew that. Yeah, but I, I wonder if we live that. Because so many of us are living by constraints in prayer and we just don't quite know what to do. One of the questions is, well, how long should I pray? Well, uh, you've got Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, who prays all night long. You've got Nehemiah uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, who prays to the Lord God and says to the king, like instant, like microwave-style prayer. And so uh, the point being, there's no one way to pray. And in fact, Jesus even cautions in Matthew 6 the length of our prayer. Because I think we can you know, try to be impressive in group prayer circles. You know? Have you ever prayed with somebody, by the way? We'll get into it in a minute. You ever prayed with somebody who, who comes out with a whole new vocabulary when they pray? And you're like, man, you don't even know what that word means. But when you're praying, there's something about, it makes you feel kind of churchy and makes you feel good to do that. But how long should you pray? It doesn't matter. The biggest question is why do we pray? And this is where the gold is. And I think for, for many, myself included for many years, The reason I prayed is I had things that I wanted God to do for me. Does that sound wrong to you? I had things that I wanted God to do for me. Who's running this show anyway? I had a a three-ring binder, and I uh, drew a line down each side of the page, and then I would write what I was praying for and date it, and then write when he answered it and date it as if God was somehow obligated to my list. And I don't say that to shame you. Maybe some of you have that kind of list or a journal or this and that. I just think it's a skewed view of why we pray. There's nothing wrong with praying for things specifically, but the reason we pray is to spend time with God. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. Some of you are in a relationship or have been at some point. I want you to think about what it would be like if you went on a date with whoever your special person was and you talked the entire time. Would that feel connecting? Or if they talked the entire time, would that feel connecting? No. And so when we go to pray, one of the things that I want you to just lean into is you're talking about a relationship with the God who loves you, who wants to just be with you. And so we pray to open to God. We also pray as an expression of submission because we pray because we need to pray. Tim Keller said in his book on prayer that a prayerless person is a prideful person. And I think there's something to be said to that, because if we never pray, we never spend time with God, we never enjoy his presence, we're never interacting with him in prayer, what we're really saying to God is we don't need you. And so the invitation into prayer is a wonderful expression of our submission. One of the questions, by the way, people ask is, to whom do you pray? Because I know in our Christian faith, we have one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So do you pray to the Son? Do you pray to the Spirit? Do you pray to the Father? Which one? Well, the Bible seems to give us a bit of a, a formula here, but it, it doesn't seem to be hard and fast, but it looks like you pray to the Father, according to Matthew 6, 9. You pray by the Spirit, according to Romans eight twenty six, And you pray through or in the name of the Son, according to John 16, 24. The beauty of it, though, is it doesn't really matter, but if you're looking for a pattern in the text, to the Father, by the Spirit, through the sun. Now, why would I bring up this topic of prayer? Like, what, why, is it, why is it significant? Well, I, I think if we're gonna learn how to present ourselves to God in, say, a, a morning prayer of intention, one of the questions that we need to ask then is how do we continue that throughout the day? And, um, and does the posture of prayer matter? Does it impact the intent of our prayer? And, and I, think, I think it might. Some of you, as I mentioned, grew up in church, And uh, they taught you to pray. And I would imagine, I didn't grow up in church, so this, this experience happened to me much, much later. But when they taught me to pray, they were very specific in terms of the physical posture of prayer. It's like, okay, we're gonna pray. Everybody's eyes closed and head bowed. How many of you have heard that before? Okay. And what do you do with your hands? Okay, you fold your hands. I think we did that to keep the kids from getting their fingers in the mashed potatoes while we were at dinner, honestly and uh, we were just on a a biblical studies tour into Turkey, Greece, and Italy, and uh, one of the things that we experienced were the catacombs that were in Rome, and and the reason I I bring up the posture of prayer is one of the takeaways that I had from this trip was this. We went into the catacombs, and we saw these, these frescoes on the wall, first, second, third century frescoes, so like early, early, early church frescoes and a couple of our recovering Catholic folks that were there with us saw these frescoes and were kind of taken by it because it showed the posture of prayer in the early church and so I'm going to show you a couple I know we've got our trees in the way but uh, do you see on the top left do you see that fresco there at the top left that they say that's a picture of an early a person from the early church praying and notice the posture hands open. No, don't mishear me. I don't think the physicality of our prayer matters. Pray arms raised, pray on your face, pray kneeling, pray sitting, doesn't matter. But I do think this, the posture of prayer in some ways indicates the posture of the heart. So if I pray this way, is that bad? No, it's not bad. But if I pray this way, it it almost makes my prayer to God a bit more monologue, doesn't it? A bit more, okay God, I'm coming to you with what I need and so here I come. Versus this feels a lot more receptive. And so this just kind of struck me. And and we had a tour guide. If you've ever been on a tour overseas, they do the same thing a thousand times. And so they push play. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing they say at that site every time. So this guide pushed play. She was not awesome. And anyway, she walked away. And I was looking at this little fresco. I'm like, that is interesting. And then there's another one we saw. Uh, another picture of a person, again, in prayer. And it just kind of struck me because I thought, man, I don't, I don't know that I pray this way. In fact, I shared this concept by way of devotion here a couple weeks ago to our staff at the end of our staff meeting, and then I said, okay, let's pray. And I literally folded my hands. It, it was just like it was a Pavlovian response. And, and here's my point with this is if we think that the posture of prayer helps dictate the posture of our heart, then might it be worth exploring some creativity in how we pray, and when we pray, and where we pray, and our physicality as we pray, and could it be that maybe even something like this, as simple as a, what looks like a chalk drawing on a wall done by a five-year-old, okay, could it not maybe open our, our thoughts to go, well, maybe my heart does need to be more receptive to God throughout the day? Could it teach us? And, and I, think, I think it might. And so here, here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you a couple of thoughts now on prayer, of, of some things prayer is and some things prayer isn't that might help us. One, prayer based on this is receptive. Prayer is receptive. Prayer is not simply me talking to God. It is in some way in the simplest form. I mean, when my kids were little, I said, hey, sweetie, why don't you just talk to God? And so she would talk to God, and that's great but in a relationship. It's a two-way relationship. So you talk to God and you let God talk to you. Now, some of you are like, I knew it. The voice is in my head. That's not necessarily what we mean. What we mean is not necessarily audible, but it's just being open to God and experiencing him. By the way, one of the primary ways God will speak to you is through his word, which is why the Bible is so important. But Romans 8, 26 also says, in our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That means as you open to God in prayer, one of the things you might find, and you probably thought this was bad, but it's actually maybe a gift from God. One of the things you might find is as you open to God in prayer, and, and don't take this wrong, but as we shut our mouths long enough to listen, um, all of a sudden you, you, you just think of something. Like an old friend that you haven't seen forever. Your fourth grade teacher. You're like, what is that about? You'll also start thinking other thoughts. And and the point in that is it it could be that God, by his grace, as you're listening, is putting people on your heart to pray for and things even to pray about. Second thing is that prayer is a response to love, which means this. Uh, We don't pray so that God will love us. We pray because God already loves us. So, so we're not praying to earn his favor. Like, oh, I haven't prayed in three days. I better pray. Like, God's going to be really upset at me. That, that's not the gospel. Because remember, in Christ, you're already fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, and fully loved. So we pray out of a response of love because we are already loved. And it says, in fact, in Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which means we're not appeasing an angry deity when we pray. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you, if you blow it uh, driving in the rain and you lose your temper and something comes out that's not of God, you don't have to quickly go to God in hopes that he won't be angry with you. You can simply go to God and go, oh, my bad, Lord. I'm so sorry. I love you. Thank you that you love me, even in the midst of that. Right, so prayer is a response to love. It also means then that prayer is not magic, meaning uh, it's not like if I pray a certain way and do it a certain way, then maybe like rubbing the genie's lamp, then God will do what I want Him to do. Remember, that makes you God. That's not the way this works. It's it's not magic. Um, you're you're simply investing in a relationship of love with the Creator of the universe. Now He moves on our behalf. And he changes our hearts, and we'll talk about circumstances here in a moment. But I want you to understand this. God is not your feelings, and your feelings do not indicate the presence of God. See, sometimes we go to pray, and if we're not feeling it, we're like, oh, God must not be here. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. He's with you every time you pray. It just may not feel awesome. But God isn't your feelings, Sometimes we get so addicted to the feeling that we're like, well, if I'm not feeling it, I should change, I should change, I should change. I should do something so that feeling will be back because we're all kind of feelings junkies. But your relationship with God is so well established in the finished work of Jesus, you'll have good feelings and you'll go to pray sometimes and it'll be an echo chamber. Hello, 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 Lord, Lord, it's me, me. God is with you, he is there, just stay open, okay? The other thing, by the way, is that means prayer is not performative. It's not performative. There's a great book, by the way, called Where Prayer Becomes Real by a guy named John Coe and Kyle Strobel. And here's what they say, prayer is not a place to be good, it's a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform, it's a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right, it's a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth, it is a place to receive worth, And offer yourself in truth. Isn't that beautiful? What that means then, if prayer is not performative, which means God is not impressed with your prayer. And in fact, if you're praying so that God will be impressed, God might gently check you on that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. He goes, look, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites. Not good, by the way, when he starts like that. Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand around in the synagogues or at the well or in the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, instead, go into your inner room. Close the door. Pray to your father who is in secret for your father knows what is done in secret and he will reward you. And when you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition like the heathen who don't know God. And suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. In our context, that might be, hey, when you pray, don't use language you don't normally use. Just be you. You don't have to be impressive and talk about theology when you pray. Just be you. You don't have to be eloquent or use the right language or words or sound super spiritual, just, just be you because he, he wants to be with you. There's something to be said, by the way, about a false self, that false self we portray. A false self cannot be loved and a false self cannot love. A false self cannot even be loved by God. So why on earth would we seek to be anybody other than who we really are? So prayer is not performative. In fact, quite the opposite, what you're gonna find as you learn to sit with God and pray, Uh, prayer is gonna reveal the ugly. Because as I mentioned, as you open to God, yes, you might think about your fourth grade teacher and you might think about a fantasy that's not of God. You might think about your old friend and you might pull up a pornographic image that you saw when you were nine. And that is the moment where prayer becomes real because what do you do then? Oh, you're such a... Lustful person. You're so awful. I knew. Why? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. When has stop it ever worked for anyone ever? Instead of being, um, trying to be perfect, how about just be honest? Oh, God, that is in my mind. And I know that's not of you. And thank you that you love me, even though that's present. And God, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you. God, I, I do have I don't know, pride in my heart. I am jealous of that. I am sad about that. I'm fearful about that. Whatever. When you go to pray, do not be surprised. Henry Allen said this. Do not be surprised if you don't have thoughts jumping around in your mind like monkeys in a banana tree. And just be present. That's okay. Don't shame yourself. Don't get angry with yourself. Don't try to grab all of that and silence it. No, we're going to pray because it just makes it the most awful, forced, controlled experience. Instead, just acknowledge it. Yeah, Lord, I'm a hot mess. I have a thousand things, all of my to-dos. Why am I thinking about my attic right now? Oh, it's Christmas. Okay, I got all these things going on. I just want to be with you. Here's the other thing. Do not be surprised if when you go to pray, you see where your heart goes. And where your heart goes... That's where your anxiety is going to be found. If you go to pray and you just have an insatiable urge to check your bank balance, which, by the way, I hope I'm not the only one who has that thing, it just shows you, I need to pray about that. All right, Lord, I don't know what that's about, but I trust you, and I trust you, and I'm anxious about this, that, or the other. I think it's because i got two kids going to college. I think that's what I'm thinking about. But, but that's, that, that's God's revealing that, and instead of being disappointed or shamed by that or putting yourself down, what, what if you just opened to God and said, yeah, God, I am stressed about that. You're right. Thank you. I was thinking about this. So in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle, sees a vision that he just calls the third heaven. He, he, he basically sees a vision of the risen Christ in glory. And uh, it was amazing. And he wanted to tell everybody about it. But it said there was given him a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, some sort of ailment, we assume. A thorn in his flesh to keep him from exalting himself. And it says three times he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would remove that thorn in his flesh. And the Lord said, no, I will not. He says, because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And when you open to God in prayer and your mind starts wandering, it's a reminder you do need the Lord. And when you open to the Lord in prayer and you're thinking about ninth grade or nine-year-old pornography, yes, you do need the Lord. And when you open to the Lord in prayer and you're wondering why you're thinking angry, violent thoughts, you do need the Lord. And it's that thorn in your flesh that keeps you from exalting yourself that brings you back to the gospel. You do need the continual work of the gospel in your life. And so in many ways, prayer then is a place, as it reveals the ugly, it's a a place to be honest Not perfect. Psalm 38 says, Lord, um, rebuke me not in your wrath and chasten me not in your burning anger for your arrows have sunken deep into me and your hand is pressed down on me. That is honest. Just candid, honest prayer. By the way, when Paul talks in Philippians 4 about dealing with anxiety, he says, therefore do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ. Notice he doesn't say stop it. He says, don't, don't, you don't need to be anxious about anything, but when you are, pray about it. Just open to God in it. Just invite him into whatever that anxiety might be. I would encourage you, by the way, this is just sort of on the side, uh, don't repress the lack of motivation. You know, if you have a lack of motivation, don't repress that. Sometimes we feel so guilty I don't feel like praying, but I need to pray. Godly people pray, and I want to be a godly person, so I should pray. I'm going to pray because godly people should pray. And you're just shoulding, right, all over yourself. Sorry, that sounded awful. And in that, there's just guilt and shame. I should, I should, I should. That's willful. What would be willing would be to say, Lord, I know I should, but I don't want to. I'm sleepy. I'm going to take a nap. And I know nothing will separate me from the love of Christ, even my nap. And so I love you, and I'm going to sleep. No shame. And here's what you'll find. If you'll be honest with God, do not be surprised if those desires to be with him begin to change. Because now you're not a sinful you coming before a holy God bracing for impact because he's getting the belt to give you a couple lashes. That's a wrong view of God. It's us coming to a loving God who just wants to be with you and spend time with you. And he already knows you don't want to pray. So, like, as a parent, when your kid blew it and you knew they blew it and they knew they blew it and the neighbor knew they blew it and they still lied to you and said they didn't blow it, all you wanted was honesty. And then it wouldn't have been a big deal. And so when you come before the Lord, don't repress. Just be candid. Remember the story in Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable about two Uh, excuse me, about some people who trusted in themselves, thought they were righteous, and he says there was two that went to pray. One was in the front, proud of themselves. The other was in the back. They didn't even want to look up. They're like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the other guy was just so arrogant, faking it the whole way. Don't repress, just be candid about how you feel. Keep in mind, by the way, when you pray, sometimes prayer will change the outcome. That is true. John 16, 24 drives me crazy. Jesus says, uh, until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy will be made full. And, and the reason it drives me crazy is it sure seems like there and in like John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, gosh, that sounds great. Like, can I just like cash that one in? You know, like I got these anxieties. I'm going to pray and, and God, you're just going to do it. But sometimes God changes the circumstances. Sometimes he doesn't. And we've got to trust that even if he doesn't, he's Lord of the encounter. And sometimes what you'll find when you pray is he doesn't change your circumstances, he changes your heart, changes you. That's why 1 Timothy 2, Paul says to pray for kings and all those who are in authority so that we might live a peaceful, tranquil, and quiet life. One of the reasons I pray for governing authorities is because they drive me crazy. And they're messing with my blood pressure. And I'm losing my mind. And I'm thankful I can pray. And as I pray, he gives me peace. He may not change the circumstance, but I get peace. And that's, that's why we pray. So let me encourage you to something. We talked about creating a daily rhythm. Prayer of intention is a great start. And by the way, any of these or all of these or some of these or some now and some later and change it up, doesn't matter. This is not a legalistic thing. Prayer of intention is good. I want to show you two more if we can. One is called a prayer of examine. The other is called a prayer of recollection. We'll start with prayer of recollection. The prayer of recollection is simply an opportunity to recount what God has done. One of the biggest issues that we have in terms of opening to God is we just forget and we get to work and we get to grinding and then we wake up and then we work and then we go to bed and then we wake up and we work and we go to bed. And we just haven't thought about the Lord. Now, he's at work in your life. And so a prayer of recollection, Psalm 63, six through eight is a good one. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you as in the night watches. Psalm 145 is another one. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. It's just like before you go to bed to create a routine where you just stop for a five-minute period and just think, God, where have I seen you today? Where have I seen your grace today, your joy today? Where have I seen your presence today? And uh, if you include this in like an evening routine, it's even better still, but I'll leave that up to you. I like to power down my electronics because I'm just kind of tired of being a slave to the screen. I like to make some sleepy tea. I know, ginormous man drinking sleepy tea. I'm not ashamed. I'll make some little sleepy tea and I'll sit on my bed and I'll just remember. Now I've got about three minutes because at four minutes I'm asleep. So i like those dolls that you lay down and their eyes close. it's a <laughs> gift, it's a gift. But I take a couple of minutes if I can, and I don't do it every night, but as often as I can, I just want to remember the Lord. Three, four minutes. Just where did I see God? And I'm just thinking, yeah, Lord, I saw that. That was awesome. The rain, we needed it. God, thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm just little little things, whatever it might be, and it's small. I just go, that's you. That's you. That was you. That was you. Yes, every good and perfect gift is from Him. That's you. And so you just, you just recollect. Just a prayer. Of recollection. The other one is the prayer of examine. And the prayer of examine is really like Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Yes. Uh, it's a, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. This one takes a little courage. It's similar to the, to the brief moral inventory that you do in the morning in a prayer of intention, it's just a little bit more expanded. It's where you say, Okay, Lord, let, let's talk about this what's happening in my heart that's not right now and get a pin because there's probably i would imagine if your life's anything like mine if i said okay what's in your life that's not like the lord i would imagine you've got a little bit of a list praise god you need the gospel that's why you need jesus and there's no condemnation for those who are in christ so it's not a bad thing he's already paid for your sin it's just you being willing to own your own smell And so you just ask the question. Psalm 139 is a good one. Psalm 19, 12 through 14 is a good one. Uh, Psalm 26, 2, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Now this one you might need a little bit more time. And so this is a good one, by the way, on a Friday on the way home from the office. To just go, all right, Lord, the work week is behind me. Maybe a Friday night before you shut everything off and do a little Shabbat or Sabbath at your house or whatever that time is for you. Maybe a Saturday morning over coffee. You wake up every Saturday morning, you have a cup of coffee in your home and before the Saturday gets moving, you just say, okay, Lord, what's going on? Is there any wrongs in me? Is there anything in me that's not like Christ? Is there any work that the gospel needs to have in my heart because I've drifted from you? Now, if you'll begin to do those things and, experiences and I would encourage you play with them put different verses to them put some reminders if your calendar if you're a type A like that if you're not you know paint a painting about it to remind yourself I don't know whatever whatever strikes you know whatever strikes you but the goal of all of these intention uh, recollection and examine uh, is learning how to open to God and spend time in relationship with him and what it's going to do my my hope would be is that it's going to change the way you pray From a head bowed, bless you, eye closed, like thing where I'm telling God what's going on, to God I'm here. And by the way, one of the things I've really enjoyed, uh, I call them old man walks, because I found, at least for me, when my body is quiet, my mind is busy. When my body is busy, my mind quiets. And so I like to go for a walk. So you'll see me walking around. I live over at Chestnut and Shepherd. And so you'll see me cruising, sometimes walking the dog, and I'm just enjoying the Lord and that's where I spend a lot of time in prayer I just enjoy that because it's just I'm out there I don't I'm not answering the phone or or anything like that find those times to learn to open to God and see if your relationship with Christ deepens if you've not trusted Christ can you still pray yes of course the prayer that I would encourage you to pray though is God are you who you say you are and what do I need to do with that and what you might find because the scripture says there's none who seeks for God not even one If something's happening in here and you're like, "Well, I kind of want to go to church and I'm thinking about praying and maybe I should get a Bible. uh, That is not simply you thinking those things. You're being awakened by the work of the spirit of God in your life. And so praise God, the gospels may be taking root in your life as well. So I would encourage you to try those things. Here's my homework assignment for you. We don't do this very often, right? But a little homework assignment. Try it. I wanted to take time and do it here, but we've taken too long. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you a little homework assignment on your own. Pick one of those, prayer of recollection or prayer of examine, and just try it. And you know what I'm encouraged you to do? Write down how it felt and then talk to somebody else about it. Maybe even tonight, You know, if you're, if you're here with friends or whatnot, say okay, I'm gonna try it, you try it. Let's circle up next Tuesday or Thursday over a taco and we'll talk about how it went. And uh, just see what happens as you learn to open to God. And uh, one of the things I think you'll, you'll be surprised of is how intimate it feels to just be quiet. Before the Lord. I mean, there's just something about silence. So when you do this, by the way, shut the radio off, shut the TV off, shut the podcast off, shut the phone off. Just and let's be a people who interacts with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pause and just say thank you that we can approach you with confidence because of Christ. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to half-step. We don't have to keep our head down. Because of Christ, we come with boldness. And so, Lord, we want to be with you. And, Lord, we know in your presence is fullness of joy. So meet us in these moments as we pray, as we open to you, as we seek you. God, do a work in our lives. And if this is a muscle that we are going to be a little sore exercising, Lord, could we just be sore together and just work on these things? Because in that, we're going to experience a freshness with you. And so we thank you that you are a God who not only spoke the world into existence and breathed into mankind the breath by the very breath of your mouth, but at the same time, you're intimate and want to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And so, God, thank you. We are here, and we want to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.